In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Sean Fox. Come along as Michael Dexter and Holly Briggs talk with Sean about his career in emergency medicine, where he specialized in both adult and pediatrics. Sean has some great morsels of advice and recommendations in this conversation. This episode is called Inconceivable, from emergency medicine to podcast producer. Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, and always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCN and one of your hosts for today. I am joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCEN. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Dr. Sean Fox. Sean comes to our podcast sitting on the other side of the microphone, as he is usually in the host spot himself for the podcast EM Guidewire, which we will spend some time discussing shortly. So without further delay, I'm going to hand this over to Michael to please introduce us to our BCEN friend, Sean. Yeah, thanks, Holly. Dr. Sean Fox is a professor of emergency medicine and of pediatrics, as well as the program director of the emergency medicine residency at Carolina's Medical Center. He works half his shifts in the pediatric ED and the other half in the adult ED. Since his time at the University of Maryland, when he served as a chief resident, Sean has been passionate about both clinical care and medical education. In 2014, he won the American College of Emergency Physicians National Emergency Medicine Faculty Teaching Award. Currently, while he educates the next generation of emergency physicians in North Carolina, Sean has partnered with other educators across the U.S. to craft national educational courses and curriculum. Dr. Fox spends his spare time generating and managing several educational websites geared toward the practice of emergency medicine, which we'll discuss and we'll also list in the episode's description. But without further ado, Dr. Fox, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It is a pleasure to have you with us today. It's great to be considered a friend. Thanks for inviting me. Always happy to converse with other uh, colleagues in uh, the medical education realm and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to talking with you. We uh, reached out to a nurse in North Carolina when we we're planning for this upcoming conference in the fall, and you were the first name she picked up. So we're really looking forward to talking with you. And I just wanted to know a little bit more about you, if you could tell us maybe about your emergency medicine career and what led you into emergency medicine and and now your passion for teaching as well? So I've been doing this for 20 plus years. And when I started, I really was just kind of searching for the area that would let me have what I thought would be the greatest impact on people. And, you know, dealing with pediatric patients in general, often parents are very receptive to feedback, very receptive to even little tiny educational nuggets that you can give them because they want to just make sure that they're caring best for their children. So I really was attracted to pediatrics. I also have to admit that my sister helped kind of formulate some of that interest. She's a uh, pediatrician as well. But I quickly also realized that people are very receptive to learning and, and maybe having your insights become more impressionable upon them when they've just been involved in, oh, I don't know, an accident or have been recently injured or they're feeling really sick and they present to the emergency department. So those two realms really appealed to me just because of what I thought of as you know being the most 
engaging environments. Yes, you know, the emergency department certainly is a, a chaotic environment, and you would think that actually maybe isn't the best place to try to influence another person's thought process on their health because maybe things have gone too far. But in my experience, in fact, it's the opposite. If you can take the opportunities when people are very open to, you know, um, potentially just being scared and and that makes their emotional uh, sensitivities more open and use that to your advantage. That's really kind of what started me on that path. And I was fortunate enough to train in Baltimore. And if you're from Baltimore, there's no T in that word. I was fortunate enough to train up there and uh, with a tremendous uh, set of educators at a combined emergency medicine and pediatric program. So I actually have a formal residency training in pediatrics and formal residency training in emergency medicine that I did concurrently. And one of the most influential people that I came across at that time was my program director, Amal Wintu, and he you know, really just set me on this course of um, always looking for ways to improve myself through educating others. So kind of a selfish endeavor and, you know, finding what was the way that I could continue to inspire myself to read more, do more, learn more. Uh, it often wasn't because, you know, I felt an internal desire to, but if I knew that going to my next shift, I might have a younger colleague ask me something that I didn't know the answer to that really just kind of terrified me. So that really uh, was kind of the the anti-complacency pill that I took was um, to help me continue to persevere and, and push on this educational path. So those those three things kind of all kind of married together during my residency training. And when I became chief resident, I was bestowed more responsibilities for teaching my colleagues. And I really enjoyed being responsible for doing, you know, the formal lectures, as well as the informal bedside teaching. All of that really was appealing to me. I also had the, the great benefit of working with some tremendous uh, nurses at University of Maryland. And I will say they you know probably taught me more than any of my attendings at times, uh, just because you, know, you, you would work so closely together. And then I took all of that kind of energy and enthusiasm for things uh, that were in the clinical realm and kind of learning through doing and learning through kind of talking out loud what your thoughts on a problem were and kind of working through that together as a group. And I brought it down to North Carolina where I'm at now in in Charlotte uh, at Carolina's Medical Center. And again, just found a very receptive environment filled with people that had just a, a passion for having academic conversations daily about their patients and being able to uh, value everybody's perspective and bring everybody's vantage point to the table so that you could figure out how best to care for this individual patient, how best to manage this department today and how best to move forward. Uh, just was a very natural fit for myself to continue on that path. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I have a very similar story along the same lines. I, I went into emergency medicine really wanting to focus on pediatrics. And I found that there was a lot of situations that I was in early on as a nurse that made me uncomfortable. And I would, I would go home and think, I don't ever want to feel that way again. And so I'd learn and I'd study and try to just immerse myself in education to uh, 
really take away some of that edge of of the fear of the unknown with these patients. And so you mentioned your sister being the pediatrician, but did you always want to work mixed adults pediatrics? Did you did you kind of want to focus more on peds? I know you you work in both environments, but is there uh, one environment that you you tend to spend the majority of your time educating and working in, or are they pretty much 50-50? Working is uh, strictly 50-50. I spend literally uh, half of my shifts on the adult side and half my shifts on the pediatric side. From an educational standpoint, um, probably is, you know, as the program director for the emergency medicine residency, clearly I have to be facile in the, the adult lingo as well. But most of the time when I speak nationally or, or regionally or, you know, at a, you know, kind of cultivated events, most people will ask me to talk about pediatric topics. So I would say my library of kind of things in my archive are heavy on the pediatric side, but I enjoy taking care of adults. In fact, I, what I don't like doing is spending too much time on one side of the aisle or the other. I find that my my sharpness, my attention to detail kind of uh, dwindles if I start uh, spending too much time on one side. Uh, maybe it's just I become complacent, but um, I do like kind of changing gears and flopping back and forth. That that may also be a, somewhat speaking to how I trained in the, in the combined training program. You literally go from one residency program to the other every three months. So you have these big gear shifts and you're like, Oh, like all of these people that I'm taking care of now are really tiny. And then you, you know, a couple months later, why is everyone so giant? I kind of like that. It was, you know, appealing after a while, very challenging in the beginning, but after five years, you, you got used to it and it was kind of cool, but I do enjoy flopping back and forth. I actually wrote down uh, one of the things that you, that you said, I've never heard it phrased this way, but an anti-complacency pill. That's just a really cool it's a really cool thought to say like, what is it that challenges me? How can I, how can I continue to like have that forward momentum? And I feel like, you know, you're, you've figured out what it is, the the recipe that works for you. And it, it seems to just keep you forever. Yeah. Learning and going and growing. And that's awesome. I think every person in the healthcare field really needs to maybe look internally and figure out what is their anti-complacency pill. So, oh, I have I have a question that has to do with what that's something that you are doing that's a little bit different. So your background in emergency medicine, lots of challenges. You also are a podcast host for EM Guidewire. I don't know anyone personally who does it other than you. So you are very unique in that as well. So what led you to take on the opportunity of becoming a podcast host? I guess my second or follow-up question is what is one of your most memorable podcast moments? So again, if we rewind to the end of my residency career, at that time, Dr. Matu at Maryland had, and this is you know 2007 going into 2008. So you know, the internet had just been built, right? Um, and we, he was developing some online educational uh, tools. And one of the things literally was just a group me, almost like, well, it's not a, it wasn't officially group me, but it was a a, a group email account for um, the alumni and, and everybody who was interested. And that slowly developed into University of Maryland Emergency Medicine Pearls. And every day of the week was a different pearl. So on 
and I can't remember completely, but like on every Monday was a cardiology topic and every Wednesday was a vascular topic and he needed a pediatric topic writer. So I started writing every week a pearl of information about pediatrics that would get sent out. And when I moved to Charlotte, I had for a year been doing that every week. And I just kind of continued to do that. And because I wasn't at Maryland anymore, I had to do something different. And because I hadn't developed the skills to write on every topic every day of the week, but rather just pediatric topics, I continued with that. And that's where the pediatric EM morsels or the PDM morsels came from. And their first full-fledged version was really in 2009, but the current versions are kind of started in 2010. And for a really long time, I wrote one every week, every Friday, one would come out. And now there's over 600 of them. And fortunately, I've coerced a couple of my colleagues to join me recently because I was starting to run out of ideas. But that really just kind of started a, an interest in different modes of delivering education. And my first love and my biggest passion is still clinically uh, in the clinical arena, bedside teaching. I, I really enjoy both teaching my uh, residents as well as my uh, colleagues and probably most importantly, my patients and their families. But I've written a number of book chapters and publications of all kinds and realizing that people you know, consume information in different avenues. I was trying not just to limit myself how to continue to deliver that information. So as a, you know, information producer, I figured you need to use whatever channels that are out there, whatever venues exist. And clearly that opened up my mind to what does podcasting look like and, and how do I do that? My goal for that though is a little different because as a program director, I also need to teach my residents how to generate information, how to disseminate and also discern what is quality, right? So part of their training, they have to learn how to write academic papers. They have to learn how to do academic projects. They have to learn how to stand on stage and give a, a you know, a presentation and, and look professional and all of those things. There are some who also are interested in figuring out, you know, how it is that really high quality sound production and podcasting can be done and, and used in our avenue uh, of emergency medicine. So uh, the EM Guidewire, my colleague Brian Allen and I came up with a couple of years ago, kind of a venue for my residents to kind of try on what it's like to produce a show. So he and I are kind of the ultimate producers, but they come up with the topics they want to talk about. They kind of structure the um, individual shows. And recently we've had uh, a cadre of people that are really strong and are super uh, enthusiastic about it and come up with some really novel ideas. Two years ago, two of my interns were interested in saying, you know, kind of a, almost like a day in the life of, a, of an emergency medicine intern. Like, what does that look like? And kind of came up with a concept of that intern nuggets under the EM guide bar awning and have been kind of running with that for a while. And we've just been kind of 
passing that torch to the successive generations. So it's really fun and incredible amount of work to kind of put all that together and put it on the rails and, and make sure it doesn't go, you know, streaming off the rails and, and then edit all that stuff. But it is, it's been a really fun adventure. Something else that adds to that anti-complacency pill, just because it's new, it's uh, full of new energy and, and excitement. So really the, the quest began just as a different way to disseminate information. But then I realized, you know what, there's, there's some of my young learners who consume a lot of podcasts and maybe they just don't quite understand all the work that goes into it. And this could be really insightful for them and give them some understanding about how to differentiate a good one, a good show from maybe not so good. There's been a lot of really fun, you know, some of the best are the, all the, uh, the times that you've, you know, edited things down and and you realize that is just gold, but I can't put it on air because it's just, you know, we've, we've run out of time. We've, we've kind of hit our mark, but there's so much uh, great stuff there. And I'll try to s- squeeze in some good outtakes at the end because my residents are quite full of character. And uh, so being able to listen to them um, as they're doing their podcasting and then just getting a couple little jokes in at the end is, is always fun. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I I really like the title of your podcast too, EM Guidewire, just both of what a Guidewire does and the metaphor of the use of of guiding others along. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. And, you know, you mentioned that you, you really have developed it in a way to disseminate other types of education and deliver communication and train others to communicate well. And in that communicating and, and different backgrounds, kind of wanted to segue over to you going back to public speaking as well. And your your presentations on delivering difficult conversations, you're going to be speaking at the BCE and Learn Live conference in Charlotte. What what gave you an interest in that topic? And is it is it the communication aspect alone or, or were you seeing a lot of poorly delivered conversations in emergency care or, or what what really made you want to dive into that topic more? I don't know that I would say that I've seen it done poorly, or let me revise that. I don't know that seeing it done poorly is the inspiration for me to uh, speak on this. I think it is very challenging to do what we do. Taking care of other humans, regardless of what avenue of medicine you're in, just taking care of other humans is incredibly difficult. And there are some aspects that are obviously even more challenging. And Delivering uncomfortable or difficult news to patients themselves or their families is certainly at the top of the most challenging things we do. And we probably don't do it enough service by kind of dancing around it. And so I think this is an opportunity for us to, you know, speak openly about it, speak openly about not only the challenge it is for us as a professional, but also the challenge it is for us as just another person who's dealing with all of the subtle and unspoken emotional difficulties that we have when we're managing a lot of these very difficult scenarios. You know, I think that there are a couple, you know, ground rules that I always like to you know stay with and adhere to. Probably the most important is um, the, not, the notion that being concise, being clear is kind. A lot of times we will like to use euphemisms and 
other ways to soften comments that we have to give, soften the, the direct information. But those things can, in fact, be more confusing and sometimes being very direct and saying what is need to be said is the most kind. It can be obviously also the most difficult. And a, a number of times that I've had to correct my own speech because the words that I meant to say just got stuck between my tongue and my teeth. It's too numerous to count. But you know, I've learned over time that it, it really is critically important. Uh, it's also really important, you know, the the other ground rule, again, not trying to deliver the whole the whole talk here. But another really important ground rule is that it's okay for things to be quiet. We often like to fill in space. We often feel uncomfortable when it's quiet. And in my experience, I usually am not choosing the right words when I'm trying to just fill in space. And it's better just to shut up and stand there and be present. And clearly, you know, that is with respect to some of the most challenging moments when we're delivering death notification, for instance. But Difficult conversations and bad news are not in really my perception. It's in the eye of the beholder. It's in the person receiving the information. And I like to, you know, tell my residents that if you told me that I had diabetes, it would be devastating for me. It would change my whole perception of my sense of health and well-being and, you know, rightly or wrongly. But I can tell you right now, it would, it would really trip me up. And that would be a really bad day for me if you told me that. We tell people they have diabetes all the time. And like, for me, that doesn't seem like that big a deal as a professional because it's just in the wheelhouse of what I do, right? I walked into room 13 and you told this patient that he has diabetes and he's going to need to start metformin and uh, here we go. And I'll have you set up with your primary care doctor and I discharge him. And if we really slow down and take a beat, we realize like, you know, maybe the way we communicate that should also be done with the same dexterity and the same considerations that we give to those moments then it when it's super challenging. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing those. I, I was thinking about both of them as you as you talked about the different concepts of of communicating well and also giving that that moment of pause basically. And there's even a concept in emergency medicine called the pause where you just take the time to allow some space, allow some quietness. And you're right, I've seen many times when we try to fill in the time or we fill in the space with, with words. And sometimes that's not what the family needs. And I'm looking forward to your whole, whole presentation and meeting with you in person. And I think it's a really great topic. That's, that's definitely vital. So thank you for agreeing to share that with us. I, I did want to ask you again about a, a person or a moment. We like to ask everybody on the podcast, if there's a certain person or maybe a moment in your career, that's really impacted you as an individual and, you mentioned a Dr. Matu, and I don't know if that's that's the one, but is there somebody, when you look back and you see the way the trajectory of your career has gone, somebody that's really made an impact on you? There's probably not an individual. There's you know a combination of people. Certainly, um, Dr. Matu got me started off on the right track. Then I was super fortunate. And when I came to Carolinas, my first chairman was world-renowned John Marks, uh, just a pioneer in the, the realm of emergency medicine and um, trauma care. And I remember um, being kind of just enamored with him. And before before he died, I had the opportunity to work alongside him, which I 
considered a, a pleasure, but so I had the opportunities as he was my chair to sit and have meetings with him. And and, and long time ago, we were having, sharing coffee and he said, this whole morsels things you're doing is, is kind of cool. And I look forward to the day when it's a million morsels. And I was like, man, you understand that they're like one a week, like a, a million <laughs> morsels. I know it's the alliteration has got me. I love it. But it seems like that's an impossibility. And later, kind of what it dawned on me is like he wasn't, you know, uh, being facetious. He was literally trying to change my horizon, change kind of the goal set that I, you know, had been looking at. And that has been very impactful for me as I teach my residents. As you need to stop thinking about only, you know, for instance, finishing residency as you know, like this last hurdle event, the path we are on is a much longer path. And the goal of moving towards mastery is an ongoing and continued process that requires constant energy. And, you know, that gets back to the anti-complacency pill, Holly, that uh, I mentioned. If you, if you become complacent, you fall precipitously away from the goal of trying to achieve that, you know, level of mastery that only comes with, you know, a, a persistent and almost, you know, somewhat unreasonable desire to keep pushing and keep persevering. So the million morsel idea kind of stands out in my mind as something that, you know, really kind of cattle prodded me forward. And, you know, the, I've also had the great fortune of kind of existing in this online realm with the morsels and with the EM Guidewire. And that's allowed me to encounter a number of tremendous individuals that I would never have met. Honestly, I still haven't met many people in person. I know them you know, virtually, but uh, Mike Cadogan, who is the one of the founders of Life in the Fast Lane, a very notable emergency medicine website, he has been a tremendous uh, help to my career because he's essentially helped me with all of my pediatric EM morsels, not in crafting them, but in publishing them. Essentially, he's given me the bandwidth, literally the the space to publish them. And he's done that just out of the kindness of his heart because um, he feels that, uh, you know, disseminating good information is, is of great value. So that benevolence that he has, you know, given to me is something that I, you know, try to also uh, emulate and give to others. So I, I would say, you know, there, there's not just an individual, um, and I could continue to go on. There's so many super impactful people in my career, and you know, without a doubt, with you know, probably the best physician that I know is my wife. She reminds me of this all the time. She's not a medicine physician, you know, a medical person by training, but she's done all her training adjacent to me. And, and has helped us raise two uh, wonderful uh, teenagers who are super fun to be with. And, you know, all those individuals are clearly impactful and, and help us move on our, our individual paths. I think you said it best when you said what was done for you, the benevolence that was de- that was bestowed on you by all of these different people who came into your life at just the right time, just motivated you and kept moving you forward to that next thing. And what you've done is you've turned around and done that for other people. And I think that that really is what you would want. You know, when you open a door for someone, you hope that they would turn around one day and do the same for someone else and give that next person that's following behind them 
just that another opportunity. I think sometimes it's just, it's being kind. It's recognizing that each one of us have purpose and goal. And, and there is, there is something to be said about giving opportunities to other people as you see the potential in them and you, you recognize it and you say, Oh man, I I think it's super cool that you're like, Hey, some of my residents, they're really into podcasts. And I think that it'd be awesome if, you know, they had a chance to kind of work through that and, and see like, man, it's not as easy as, you know, just clicking a button, but it gives them a chance to kind of hone a skill and again, disseminating great information. So lots to unpack from that, but I, I've already have some takeaways. So thank you for sharing all of that. Honestly, I get to have the fun part of this podcast, which is where I change the entire trajectory of the podcast. And I get to ask you about some favorites because we just like to get to know you a little bit as a person outside of all of the things that you're doing. So here's a a question. I'm actually super curious since you're, you're doing a lot of different things, but what would you be doing if you weren't in your current role? Like you could pick anything. What would you do? So when you say current role, do you mean as program director or do you mean as, as physician? Like if you're going to remove, if you're going to remove program director, there's lots of other medical things I could be doing uh, because being program director does occupy a fair amount of time. Yeah. Let's just say that you could like, you could make a duplicate of yourself and the one person could keep doing all of the things to keep all the, you know, the plates spinning and the balls rolling, but you were able to just do whatever you wanted. So go into non-medical myself. That's just me. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, my son currently 16 and for the past uh, probably 10 years, he has steadily endeavored to get me addicted to automobile culture. I I've always enjoyed cars, but he's got, he's on another level. He's almost just like a savant with these, you know, it's always spouting off these stats. I'm like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. But I do think it'd be super cool to have a sweet, we'll just say it, we'll have a sweet like C8 Corvette and race it. That'd be that'd be fun. I would do that. That sounds fun. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes, and I hope there's no people who, you know, might patrol the interstate looking to hand out tickets. <laughs> sometimes... <laughs> There must be an inner race car driver somewhere in my spirit because sometimes uh-huh. it comes out and I have to be like, you got to slow down, girl. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to be writing tickets. Your body can't cash. You know what I mean? So, wow, that sounds like fun. That's just a very interesting. I mean, I know I have some friends who are into like classic cars and they do yeah. these car shows. And then I have, you know, a friend of mine who raced it. Like, it's just, it's a different culture. It's a different community. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. Your son's just bringing you into something new and different. All right. Now I have more favorites. So what is your favorite book? And it can be all time, or it can be something that you're currently reading that you just really enjoy. So I'm generally illiterate and don't read that much. My wife is the connoisseur all of the books. Um, she and my daughter consume books like uh, food. But my, if you truly want an answer, my favorite books are by Malcolm Gladwell. So again, they're not like you know novels, and they're they're little geeky, if you will. Uh, but Blink by Malcolm Gladwell stands out as one of my favorites, and it just appeals to me on multiple levels. Uh, there's a you know a level of attention to research detail. There's a great attention to 
story being spun, but it also really is quite insightful and I think applicable to what we do in emergency medicine by how we make snap judgments and how sometimes those are spot on and super helpful in my ability to discern, oh, this person's got, you know, CHF exacerbation, you know, from the doorway, but also how sometimes those snap judgments, the synapses fire and they get cross cross wired and that can lead to problems as well. And being able to be aware of that and, and think about it on multiple levels, I think is really kind of cool. I'm not super good at it, but it, I think it's cool. Hmm, I like that. I wrote that down. I'm definitely going to take a peek. Uh, so that's not one that I've heard of. So thank you for that. And all right, moving on to a different category of favorites, favorite movie, or it could be a TV show. And again, all time, or just something that you're like, yeah, this is what I'm spending my time on. This is what's filling my, <laughs> my Netflix up. I was going to say, so with, you know, with the advent of streaming, it's so hard to say now uh, because Literally every week we consume something else, although with the, the writer strike uh, that is going to start dwindling. So we need to get the writer strike resolved so we can get new content out there. Uh, but my wife and I, we just finished The Bear, which is on Hulu, which is fantastic. But, that's, you know, that's not an all time. It's, it's very good. But next week I'll be on. I'll move on to something else. You know, Murders in the Building, also fantastic. That's, uh, season three coming out. Uh, look at me just dropping promotions for them. Uh, but Princess Bride is the best movie ever made. I love Princess Bride. It's fantastic. If I could high five you through this Zoom, I would high five oh, you. Right okay, now. perfect. We do consume everything that's Marvel also. And that's just my children have always been fascinated with Marvel. So now it's just a family thing. So those are very, those hold a, a special place just because they've always been family oriented. But fortunately, my children also like Princess Bride. Uh, the, there's a book, by the way. Oh, actually, if you want to go back to books. There's a book that is about Princess Bride um, called As You Wish. You should look that one up. That's good. I mean, there's so many good lines from that movie. Seriously, if Mm -hmm. you're listening to this podcast and you have never seen The Princess Bride, just I'm going to say pause the podcast, go watch it, and then come back and join us because you'll understand. Yeah, it's a a classic. Oh, great recommendation. Uh, Okay. Well, I'm now I'm like, man, what could be next? What could be better? Favorite <laughs> musical artist all time uh, or just current? Yeah, that's super hard too. I have such an eclectic love of uh, music. I was brought up with Motown and funk and classic rock, which at the time wasn't classic, I guess. But yeah, so... From Stevie Wonder to Mumford and Sons, I love Mumford and Sons, so good. Um, to Mary J. Blige, lots of R and B. My, I have a Spotify channel. I have two Spotify channels that I play when I'm at work, and one is essentially a combination of all of the music that I like that, and I shared it with my residents. So they add things, so then I get to learn like what the cool kids are listening to which is fun. And I think it has, you know, like, I don't know, 10 days of music straight. <laughs> like it's just got so much content in there. Hoosiers album just came out. That's good. Yeah. I could just keep going. There's, I don't, depending, you, you got to give me a mood. Like, are we sitting on my front porch having tasty beverages? That's probably going to be Mumford and Sons. Are we working? Then I need, you know, need a little bit of Motown and some funk going on to get the energy up. 
So it, it really depends. I like that answer as well. Honestly, the, the fact that you like a realm of music, but you also recognize some, some music has to be consumed in certain settings. There's nothing, there, there's nothing like sitting on your front porch, you know, hanging yep. out, nowhere to go, no pressure and listening to, you know, something that's just, it's good. You can savor it. And then there are other things like, Hey, let's get going. We got, we got stuff to do. So yes, music Music is powerful, and it sounds like you've got some insight into how to harness that. So that's awesome. Well, all right, comfort food, meal that you really enjoy. So my wife is a fantastic cook. She um, can make anything, and it'll be my favorite meal that day, certainly. I really am not that picky of an eater, but she she makes for my family mama's famous mac and cheese, and it's just I don't know how many layers of different cheeses she puts in the thing, but it takes her, you know, half a day to make it. And it's just fantastic. Uh, it's got ham in it, onions. It's so good. Yeah. So things are, you know, if my, when my daughter comes home from college, mama's famous mac and cheese gets made. There's you know going to be a party this weekend. Mama's famous mac and cheese is going to be made. So a lot of, a lot of mama's famous mac and cheese is consumed in this house. And so that's a really good, strong comfort food. The smells just make you feel happy. Comfort food. There's nothing like it. Well, thank you, Dr. Fox, for sharing all of that favorites with us. I am beyond sure that our audience is going to want to follow you on some social media platforms and, or checking out some of your websites. So is there a social media platform that they could follow you on? And also, I, I do have a copy currently sitting in front of me of the websites that you are involved in, which I will happily type out and put in the description of all of this. But let us know, where can we follow you at? On, well, I guess it's X now. Uh, previous aforementioned Twitter, <laughs> it's at it's at PDM Morsels, so P-E-D-E-M-M-O-R-S-L-E-S. And on Insta is the same. There's also an at EM Guidewire on Insta that... Uh, you can follow some content there too. Awesome. Well, I will have those listed. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for taking all the time to, to share what you're doing. I just, I'm really looking forward to meeting you in person. And I think what you're doing for emergency medicine, it's always nice to meet somebody that's going above and beyond and, and not simply there to be a part of something, but there to be involved in pushing forward something. And it looks like you're really doing a great job of pushing forward the better care processes, better professional growth and development of others that are that you're uh, training with and, and really disseminating information across the internet to help the care of pediatric and adult patients everywhere. So Really nice meeting you and really great uh, getting to know more about you, Dr. Fox. We really appreciate you joining us today. Well, thanks for inviting me. I look forward to meeting you in person. And uh, Holly, perhaps I'll, uh, I'll voyage out to your neck of the woods and we'll sit on your porch and have a tasty beverage. That's fine. I will have Mumford and Sons keyed up. I'll be ready. So thank you so much. I want to take this time to thank Dr. Fox for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you for sharing your experiences, your time, your passion, all of this insight with us. We are looking forward to spending some face-to-face time with you in Charlotte, North Carolina at BCN Learn Live on November 13th through the 15th of 2023. If you're listening, you should check out the registration information at bcn.org backslash learn live. To see a lineup of our speakers and topics, all you have to do is go to that website. So get registered and come and meet us in Charlotte. 
And to all of our listeners, we hope you will stay tuned as we continue with BCN and friends and bring you new, meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs here with Michael Dexter. And on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out.